but we're going to continue in our movement series in Acts. All right, so Acts chapter 2, you can go turn there, be turning to Acts. Um, Angela told me today, where's Angela? She said she had a dream last night. I was preaching, and there she is. And she, she was disrupting me the whole time, interrupting me the whole time. So um, we are talking about the Holy Spirit tonight, so it might get a little crazy. But um, Acts chapter 2, as we continue. Uh, last week, Kyle was in John 14, if you remember. And in John 14, Jesus makes a promise, right? He, he promises us that someone else is coming. Who's he talking about? Jesus is talking about who? Holy Spirit. Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, we're going to have to go back a little bit further than I thought. Um, the Holy Spirit, right, is coming. So that's our focus. That's the next stop, next step, if you will, in the, in the movement series. Uh, two friends were looking over at the Niagara Falls one day, and, and one friend said to the other friend, that right there is the greatest unused source of power in the world. And the other friend said, no, the Holy Spirit is the greatest unused power source in the world. I think I agree with that statement, church. Tonight we want to really focus in on the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, and we want to understand what it means and looks like to, to be a, a Holy Spirit-filled people, right? To walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our focus. So, so take a step back with me for a minute. This whole movement series has really dealt with the narrative of Scripture, right? Which I love, because you can connect all the dots. We're seeing the big picture. Uh, we saw God's presence with His people early on, right, in the tabernacle in Exodus. Then we saw His presence in the permanent temple that Solomon built, right? Then we saw God's presence with His people in the form of Jesus, right? God with us, Emmanuel. This is God in the flesh, and then, tonight, we see God's presence, not just with us, not just among us, not just around us, but within us. Acts 2 changes everything. And so, how, what does that mean? What does it mean that we're Holy Spirit-filled? Right? You were taught that growing up, but, but are we living that? Are we walking in that power? What does it mean? Well, think of it in terms of last week, in connection to Jesus' ministry. Jesus came, we spent three weeks in the Gospels, we looked at what he did, he had a very specific purpose, he was focused, he had a mission, right? He came to seek and save the lost, he came to, to conquer sin and death, right? He, he came to deal with all of creation and subject all things to his feet. I mean, this was about dominion over all things and, and reconciling all things to himself. Jesus was doing this, right? He's in the business of redemption, and then he just leaves us, right? You get to Acts 1, and he's, he's out of here. Like, I thought that was the point. Like, we, everything in the Old Testament was pointing to this guy, and now he's gone. But he says, I'm sending you the helper. And so now, as we see the Spirit poured out in Acts, we see that the ministry of Jesus, everything we saw, every act that we saw him doing, which was acts of reconciliation, of redemption, right? Making all things new. He says, now... Go and do likewise. He's extending his ministry. Right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is indwelling believers to go unto the ends of the earth. And so now, he's planting churches every crevice of the planet, right? As little embassies of the kingdom of God all over earth, calling us to extend this ministry, this ministry of reconciliation. In John 16, a couple chapters after our passage last week, he, he even says to us, look, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the helper will not come. 
And of course, that's hard for us, right? Because we're like, no, I think it would just be better if you stayed, right? But he says, no, the, the plan is to extend this, to multiply this. And here we are today in the billions of multiplication, right? His plan was to empower people with the presence of God. And I hope you see your place in that. Like, I hope you understand that the Spirit of God is not just some, you know, mystic divine Google that directs you and gives you answers every once in a while. It's, a, it's indwelling you and empowering us. See, if we don't understand that, if we don't live out of the power of the Spirit, we're going to find ourselves really focusing in on the problems of this world on a surface level, right? That's what the, that's what the disciples did in Acts 1. I'm like that a lot of times, right? They're like, okay, Jesus, you're going to go into Rome now, right, and overthrow Caesar and deal with the problem. And he's like, no, you still don't get it. This is what we do. We take all of our surface-level problems, and we make it the main thing. But the Bible is clear that there's a root to these things, right? There's a root down there. This is a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, this is against cosmic powers over present darkness. Right? This is against spiritual forces of evil. If we're not careful, if we don't operate out of the power of the Spirit, we're going to take our context, our little sliver of life, and the things going on around us, and say, that's the problem. If they would just fix that, there's a root to it, man. And God has equipped you with the power of the Spirit to go and engage the spiritual battle in front of us. So, we want to deal with the Holy Spirit. How can we be Holy Spirit-filled believers? We're going to look at Acts 2. I've kind of broken that chapter into three categories, um, and we'll hopefully be able to walk away with a, an understanding of the chapter and, and really a, a deeper understanding of what it means to be a Spirit-filled believer. So let's read together, all right? Uh, verse 1, chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, Pentecost is a Jewish festival, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And all the Baptists said, I'm uncomfortable right now. <laughs> this is a wild scene, guys. Keep going, though. Verse 5. Now, well, before we keep going, I'm gonna, I'll throw this out there. I think that the tongues that we're seeing here are different than the tongues that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 14, all right? And I say that based on what we're about to read. We're about to see that these tongues are, are other languages, languages that they were understanding, right? These were not, uh, this was not a, a language that was not understood. And so, verse 5 says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Pause there. Now, the message tonight is called The Reality of the Spirit. All right? And that's, that's the banner headline. Under that, under that, we want to see three things that I believe the Spirit empowers us to do based on Acts 2. All right? So it's not a comprehensive study of the Spirit, but from this text, we can see at least three things the Spirit empowers us to do. Now, I do want to be clear um, about the role of the Holy Spirit as we're moving forward. Uh, he's not a new character introduced into the story, right? He's not just, oh, we're in the New Testament now, now the Holy Spirit works. Uh, the Holy Spirit's been at work in, in the Old Testament, right? He's existed always and forever with 
triune perfection, Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Um, In the Old Testament, he was poured out selectively, temporarily. The difference now is the Spirit of God is poured out permanently among believers. And so, what we want to do is see what happens in this passage. What is the first thing we see? Uh, the Holy Spirit do and accomplish? What's the first work of the Spirit that we see? We get caught up in, or at least I get caught up in, in the, in the crazy scene that just took place, right? I mean, can you imagine that happening in here? Um, that's, that's really where our focus goes, but why? What's the point of all of that? Is the Spirit just coming to make this crazy experience happen? Right? There are entire denominations based on just that experience, but that's not even the point. Right, let's get to verse 11. What's the first thing that the Spirit of God did when he poured himself out for the permanent indwelling of believers? Verse 11 says, yes, I skipped all of the hard-to-pronounce tongues and tribes. And it, said, it says, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So the very first thing that the Spirit of God does as it pours itself out is to take this language barrier and turn it into a bridge to proclaim the mighty works of God. Right? Literally the first thing we see happening is the Spirit deconstructing barriers and bringing people together under the proclamation of who God is. It, it just pours itself out and says, boom, God is good, praise God. And it starts talking about just all the great and mighty deeds of God. That's the first thing that the Spirit does which means that the reality of the Spirit in your life and in my life is that God has specifically equipped you so that your mouth and your life will proclaim the mighty works of God in a way that transcends all barriers and stereotypes and ethnic backgrounds and education backgrounds. You are not bound by your tribe, your camp. You are not a slave to those things. And if that's where you find your security, church, that's ungodly. The very first thing that the Spirit of God does is deconstruct all of those things for the purpose of the exaltation of God. 2020 was a wild year, huh? When I think about that year, one of the biggest things that sticks out to me is uh, how it revealed our tribal nature, right? We all had to choose camps, it felt like. And I watched so many people just Stomp on the name of Jesus for the sake of picking camps and aligning with political ideologies. It's like they threw their witness out the door. Some of us felt like we had to. We had no choice. I got to pick a camp. I got to go over here with this group because it's our nature, isn't it? We got to find our security somewhere. And the church fell into that in some ways. And if we're not careful, we'll look more like the world than like Christ if we're not walking in the Spirit. If we're walking in the flesh, we're going to give over to those natural inclinations to camp out with this group or this tribe. But the Spirit of God, the first thing that it does is say, no more. You exist to go and proclaim, no matter what tribe and nation and tongue or background, the good and mighty works of God. I'm reminded of Galatians 3, right, when Paul calls them out and says, guys, y'all started in the Spirit, now you're trying to perfect in the flesh? That's not going to work, right? I know I've, I'm guilty of that, right? David had some of that in his testimony. It's like you start in the spirit and then you get to a point point. you're like, I got this. 
right? I can do this, and we start operating in the, in the flesh. Nothing ungodly or nothing godly will ever come from that cycle. We want to be people who are daily walking in the Spirit. It's tempting, right, to go and have this worshipful experience or to come to know Christ, and then years go by, and you're just you're walking in the flesh, man. We want to be people walking in the Spirit every day. How do we do that? What does that look like? Here's kind of a practical way of thinking about it. We'll break it down in just four, four ways. You know, again, I, I grew up kind of thinking that the Holy Spirit was um, like a tour guide almost. Just like, you know, when you're, you don't know where to go in life, just ask the Spirit and hopefully He'll guide you, like divine Google or something. And I never really understood the Spirit as indwelling me and, and uh, having authority over every dimension of my life. So break your, your being into four categories, right? Um, emotional, intellectual, relational, moral, all right? You're thinking those categories. Now, these are, are words, these are words of another preacher, not, not me, but I agree, all right? So emotionally, how does the, the Spirit affect us emotionally? The Spirit creates love in Christians, enriches them, gives them joy, and brings conviction. Intellectually, he illumines them with wisdom and understanding. Relationally, he enables prayer to and communion with and worship of God, setting the Christian free from the law of sin and death. All right? Morally, he sets the Christian mind on life and peace, engendering the fruit of the Spirit in his walk and enabling obedience. You catch that? Like, for you goody-goodies out there, it's not because you're so goody-goody, right? It's because the Spirit allows you and enables you to follow after God. Right? My wife's the rule follower. She's good at following rules. But when she started following Jesus, she found out that her rules were her salvation, right? When we follow after God in a pure heart, it's because He enables those things through the power of the Spirit. He also sets the Christian against the flesh and its deeds, putting them to death. So God has equipped us with the permanent indwelling of His Spirit so that every dimension of our life is under the authority of the Spirit. And it's from that place that we can live out the commands that Jesus gives to us. It's from the power of the Spirit in you that you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's in the power of the Spirit that you're going to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, come on. You can't do that. But the Spirit of God in you enables it. It's through the Spirit that we can forgive our family member, our friend who wronged us. It's through the Spirit that you can use your suffering as a tool to bring glory to God. Right? It's through the Spirit that the message and the power of the Gospel goes forth and takes root in lives and changes their eternal destiny. We have to live and operate out of that overflow, don't we? Out of walking in the Spirit, not walking in the flesh. One day, um, A.J. Gordon was out for a walk. A.J. Gordon uh, is the founder of Gordon-Conwell Seminary. He was out walking, and he saw in the distance a guy uh, pumping water. You know those hand pumps, right? The young guys are like, I've never heard of such a thing. But you pump with the, pump, the handle, and the water comes out. And he saw this guy, and he was... He was a little taken back because the guy was just, I mean, quickly just pumping this water. He wasn't getting tired. And A.J. Gordon thought, that's, that's pretty amazing. He's pretty fit. And he kept, 
kept an eye on him, and sure enough, the guy just kept pumping and pumping and pumping. But as he got closer, he, he, he noticed, oh, that's not actually a guy pumping. It's a, it's a wooden frame painted like a guy, and he's got a hinge on his elbow, and it's just going up and down, all right? And so then he realized, oh, the, the well isn't, it's an artesian well, which means it has its own natural pressure, source of pressure. So what was actually happening there was that the water was pumping the man. The man wasn't pumping the water. So this is the role of the Spirit in your life, right? It is through the Spirit that you draw your strength, that you have your source of life. But the problem is we like to keep our hand clamped on that handle. And then we wonder why one day you're so exhausted and burnt out and tired and passive about the things of God. Because you've been trying to control that Spirit. You've been trying to control your spiritual life, but you've got to operate out of that overflow, which means you've got to surrender every dimension of your life to the Spirit. Vance Havner, old North Carolina preacher, said, we are not going to change this world by criticism of it nor conformity to it, but by the combination within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. So, the Spirit enables us to proclaim beyond any tribe, nation, or tongue, boundary, whatever, ethnic group, you, people of God, are not slaves to those categories. So, Peter stands up in this chapter, right? And in the power of the Spirit, he proclaims. And he says to everybody, look, this was prophesied in Joel, he quotes. And then in Psalms, he quotes. And then what happens? The people of God are hearing about who this Messiah is and what they've done to him. And the, and the verse 37 says they were cut to the heart. They were pierced to the heart, your translation might say. They were convicted. And it's like, man, they knew who Jesus was, but now they actually know who Jesus is. How does that happen? The Spirit has pulled back that veil, right? It's revealed to them, you crucified the Messiah. And they're convicted. And it's, it's not just mindful awareness, right? It's not just like, oh, now I get it. No. I mean, this is physical agony. I mean, they're in physical discomfort, it says. They were pierced to the heart. It's like David in Psalm 32, right, when he said, I kept my sin silent and my bones wasted away. Sometimes there is just a weight that you feel, physically feel, when the weight of sin comes crashing down on your life. And, and you have an option there. And unfortunately, a lot of the world says, I'm going to tweak it, compromise it, justify it, or ignore it, right? And we just go back into our patterns. Friends, if that's you, even tonight, even in this moment, press into that. There's freedom on the other side. You see, we take that as a red flag to run away, but Jesus is saying, no, 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 that means come here, come closer, come closer. And he draws them in. So that's, that's where these people are. They say, Peter, what do we do? They feel that weight bearing down on them. What do we do? Verse 38, Peter says, repent. Right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit allows us to see our sin. Or, yeah, to see our sin, which we think is most of the time self-evident, but it's not always self-evident. It's subtle. There's blind spots, but the Spirit illumines those things, and then from that place, repent. Jesus' first message. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance is 
Not a popular word in our current culture, right? With our cultural narrative. Repentance is not something that really fits into that narrative, right? Our cultural narrative today is be you. Don't apologize, right? Uh, follow your heart. Be true to yourself. That's the message, right? And when you end up with that message, uh, hear, with people hearing that message over and over again, and everybody's following in that direction, you end up with a whole lot of people with an identity crisis. Right? Like, that's where we are. A whole bunch of people following that message and then ending up in a place where they're empty again. And so they have to reinvent themselves, redefine themselves. I mean, we're redefining gender today because people have followed this message of be true to yourself and no one's ever said, repent, there is so much more joy found in Christ than trying to follow your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things, right? And so when everybody's following that message, they're finding emptiness on the other side. Repentance. Turn from it. Embrace freedom in Christ. Now, the cultural narrative 50, 60 years ago was a little bit different, right? It was more along the lines of be a good person, work hard. How did the gospel meet that generation? Well, it came and it said, listen, it's not about what you can do, it's about what Christ has done for you. The Spirit of God enables us to meet our cultural crisis and our current sin in its time. So if you look at the world and you're thinking, man, these people are crazy, you throw your arms up and then you go blog about it on Facebook about how dumb they are, then guess what? You're not walking in the Spirit. The Spirit indwells you so that you can take the gospel into that cultural narrative for such a time as this. Guess what? We know where identity is found. Go give them that news, right? Go tell them, look, I know you're after authenticity. You're after uh, your true self. Well, guess what? You were created to be your true self in Christ. Take that message there. And only in the power of the Spirit can you actually do that. The Holy Spirit leads to repentance. Acknowledge your sin. Confess your sin. Turn away from your sin. And embrace the forgiveness and the freedom we have in Christ. Um, in the 4th century, there was a, a Roman emperor named Theodosius and he ordered the execution of 7,000 people in Thessalonica. All right, you know that city from the Bible. Um, and Bishop Ambrose heard about this, and he wrote him a letter rebuking him and said, you, you have no right to approach Holy Communion from this point forward. Some time went by, and Theodosius went to uh, the Church of Milan, and he went, tried to get in the doors, and Bishop Ambrose stopped him and said, you're not coming in. And Theodosius said, okay, but, but David in the Bible... Uh, He's a man after God's own heart. He committed murder and adultery. And Ambrose said, you have imitated David in his sin. Now imitate him in his repentance. You see, David was a man on, after God's own heart because he owned his sin, right? Not because he was perfect. He was a man after God's own heart because he repented. He acknowledged it. He confessed it. And he turned from it. And he embraced the righteousness of God. The Holy Spirit enables us to repent. So what happens when you combine Holy Spirit proclamation and Holy Spirit-driven repentance? You end up with a community that looks really, really different 
than anything the world has to offer. You end up with the church. Acts 2.42, we'll end here. All right? Read with me in these, these ending verses. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and uh, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a beautiful picture that is. Now, I wish we had, I could spend all night right there. Um, matter of fact, y'all got an hour? No. I could spend all night right there, and, and some, we should, honestly. But I'm going to sum it up real quick for us. What we're seeing now, from the beginning of Acts 2 now to the end, is that the Holy Spirit has united a group of people in something, in a way, that is far bigger than any common interest they may have, any sports team, right, any political party, any ethnic background, any geographical location, right? They are now united, not in any of those things, but they are united in resurrected power which means the only gathering on the planet that shows true life, authentic life, is the church. We are the only group in the world that gathers and displays life, abundant, true life. Does the world say that about us? Are we walking in the power of the Spirit? I watched... Um, the movie Night at the Museum a few weeks ago with my boys. Um, and in the movie, Ben Stiller is a night guard, right? And he uh, realizes pretty quickly, like, everything at night comes to life in this museum, right? All the animals, all the statues, all the figurines, everything. And he learns eventually that these, these artifacts, these animals are coming to life because of this tablet, right? The tablet of Achmen-Ra. That becomes... That's the source, right? And the second movie is all about that tablet. And that tablet becomes the source of their life. It is what empowers them. It's what gives them breath, right? Without it, they're nothing. Without it, they're dead. Church, without the Holy Spirit, we are nothing more than a museum. We are statues of saints gone by. Right? Without the power of the Spirit filling us every day, empowering us and sending us, we're collecting dust, right? We're irrelevant. We're statues. We're a museum. And who wants to come to a museum? Church, the, ch the church established in Acts is a living, breathing, complex, beautiful organism. And that's God's plan, to go and make disciples, establishing that church. So in the power of the Holy Spirit, we proclaim the goodness of God. We repent of our sin, and then we come together, right? And we're going to pick up there next week. So let's pray together.